On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Music Plays the Band on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you all are safe and well. Well, we are back on the road in earnest. This is our first real tour, real tour, in nearly two years. And, you know, we're doing our best to stay safe out here, uh, testing a lot, and hoping to make it through this whole thing. Uh, It certainly has a different vibe. You know, we're pretty much keeping to ourselves and not seeing many friends, nobody backstage. Not quite as much fun, but I will take it over not working any day of the week. Tonight is our second night of the tour and our second night in Lake Tahoe, and I am recording in my hotel room at the moment, looking out over the mountains and the lake, and a really nice view, actually. This week's feature is another that I recorded in Jamaica, and I am thrilled to share with you a great conversation that I had with the one and only Melvin Seals. Also joining me today is Mark Hitchcock of the Buffalo Dead All-Stars. So as always, I am so glad you're here, and before we get to the first segment, I humbly ask you to support the podcast any way you can. There's the monthly Patreon subscription with giving levels starting as low as $5 a month, which gives you exclusive bonus content including outtakes, expanded interviews and segments, videos and stories from the road, and much more. You can also make a one-time contribution through PayPal, and a portion of all the proceeds goes to the Rex Foundation, the charity started by the Grateful Dead. You can find out about all of this and more at www.themusicplaystheband.net and wherever you are listening to the podcast, please rate, like, and review. So here we go. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get started. The Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Clean Store. Brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead. Today we honor Tampa Red. Tampa Red was born in Hudson Woodbridge in Smithville, Georgia in 1903. His parents died when he was a child and he moved to Tampa, Florida, where he was raised by his aunt and grandmother. He emulated his older brother, Eddie, who played the guitar, and he was especially inspired by an old street musician called Piccolo Pete, who first taught him to play blues licks on the guitar. In the 1920s, having already perfected his slide technique, he moved to Chicago, Illinois, and began his career as a musician, adopting the name Tampa Red, with reference to his childhood home and his light-colored skin. His big break came when he was hired to accompany the legendary Ma Rainey, and he began recording in 1928. He recorded over 90 tunes, many of them as a duet with a bluesman named Georgia Tom, but he is best remembered as a blues guitarist who had a distinctive single-string slide style. His songwriting and his bottleneck technique influenced other leading Chicago blues artists as well, including Muddy Waters and Elmore James. He recorded throughout the 30s and became somewhat of a galvanizing persona in the Chicago blues community. He provided rehearsal space, bookings, and lodging for musicians who arrived in Chicago from the Mississippi Delta. In the early 1940s, Red switched to the electric guitar and continued to record, but he had less success until the blues revival in the 50s. 
His last recording was in 1960, and he died destitute in Chicago in 1981 at the age of 78. Red had a few well-known tunes, but perhaps his biggest was the one we will hear today, It Hurts Me Too. First recorded in 1940 and reworked in 1949, Elmore James had a hit with it in the 1950s. Now, The Dead first performed it in 1966, and it stayed with them throughout Pigpen's time in the band. As you will hear, the lyrics and the tempo of Tampa Red's version are a bit different, and The Dead probably styled their version after the Elmore James cut, but there's no denying that it's the same tune. Maybe we'll get to Elmore James and his version in another episode, but here is Tampa Red with the original 1940 version of It Hurts Me Too. Take a minute and tell you about Beth Kortz. Beth is a psychotherapist, intuitive clarity coach, and founder of the Authenticity Academy. For the past 12 years, she has been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program. This is your time to gain clarity, defining yourself by who you really are and not what you do. Increase your confidence by activating your inner powers and take soul-led action creating a life in alignment with your purpose, passions, and desires. Are you ready to learn more? Then book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth. Visit www.yourclarity.coach or the sponsor page of themusicplaystheband.net. I know Beth is looking forward to supporting you on your journey. In today's edition of There is a Grateful Dead cover band in every town, we're going to shuffle off to Buffalo and speak with Mark Hitchcock of the Buffalo Dead All-Stars. All right. Okay. So I am here today, tonight, I guess it's a uh, 6.30 where I am in California, but it's 9.30 late out in Buffalo, New York. And I have Mark Hitchcock of the Buffalo Dead All-Stars. How are you tonight? Hello. The Buffalo Dead All-Stars. I guess, is it the All-Stars because you all come from different bands? Yes, exactly. And can you give me a brief rundown on it? How, how long you've been doing it? How'd you get started? Certainly. I've been playing uh, Grateful Dead music in Buffalo since the early 90s. And I had a band that was the same people and we played in the same spot and were very successful and uh, had gone along for a very long time. And that band kind of uh, went our separate ways. And I wasn't quite sure what I would do at the time. So that summer, I just started sitting in with some of the different bands and were in town, just would call up, you know, can I play with you tonight? Can I play here? Play there. Uh, when guys were in from out of town, uh, dead ahead, Ohio, um, a few different people, I would just, you know, 
get in touch with them online and offer to play. And so I had a lot of fun doing that. And that's when Phil had first started doing his Phil and friends thing. And I just thought rather than, you know, put another band together and try to go through all that again, I would draw on all these people that I knew in Buffalo, which has, just has a tremendous, you know, there's umpteen cover bands in town almost every night somebody's playing. Right. <clears throat> and so I knew all these people. So I just started doing that. And it was a lot of fun. And then this particular venue in town, Sportsman's Tavern, which is uh, has won the award as the uh, best honky-tonk in the whole country. It's just a real nice spot to play. Uh, they got wind of us and had us on and then offers us a regular show. And so I started doing this on uh, once a month there. And I just invite different people to play. I have a core group of guys that are there, uh, the guitar player usually in the same keyboard player and just invite different folks. Sometimes it's completely different. I have a group that plays with a pedal steel where we do more like American beauty and working man's dead stuff. So just really casual, but just a great time. And we're going to our seventh year now doing that. So it's just been really a lot of fun and I'm very, very lucky that I get to do it. I play with some just tremendous players. That's really cool. So the instrumentation would change from gig to gig. Exactly. And that kind of alters or dictates maybe what part of the repertoire you might cover that. Yeah. Super cool, man. That's, I really like that. Um, well, in Buffalo, you know, when I was younger, uh, the wild Knights were one of the early bands here in town that I used to see. And those guys have recently regrouped and then they've got an original band with some of their members. That's having a lot of success now. And just so many guys working in Buffalo, like just this weekend coming up, there's uh, Scarlet Begonias is playing where I play at sportsman's tavern and, uh, the Dead Alliance Buffalo is playing in another place. The next night, you've got these guys, Captain Trips, who are some other fellows that I play with. Um, another offshoot band that I have, Soul Roaches, playing on Sunday night. My band is playing on Wednesday. And the community just supports all these bands. They're, all the shows are well attended. So we're just extremely lucky here in Buffalo. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, we, we do great in Buffalo. It's always been a great town for us. Obviously, it was a regular tour stop for the Dead. Very, very strong community up there. No, um, rich history with the dead. They, for some reason, like Buffalo and Rochester. And uh, when I was younger, got to see them a lot. I started seeing them in 1973. Uh, and uh, it was just a, a treat at the auditorium and at the uh, uh, arena in Rochester. So with with the All-Stars, do you, depending on the uh, the instrumentation you have, you say, okay, tonight we're going to go towards this American Beauty stuff. Another night you might lean towards the 60s stuff or the 80s stuff, depending on what you have in the group with you that night? Yep, we've done nights where we've covered Skull and Roses, Europe 72, and done particular albums. Uh, a good portion of the time, since it's mostly a fun time for these other guys being away from their bands and being able to cut loose a little bit, we kind of wing it and go whatever the, you know, whatever is going on that night or the energy or the night or what people are yelling out. And it's just a lot of fun. Um, regardless of the instrumentation you have or the repertoire, you might be part of the repertoire you might be doing that night. Do you, do you take a specific approach to interpreting the music or is it like, here we go, let's just see what happens? Yeah, fly by the seat of our pants most of the time. Right on. And and, and you're a drummer, so uh, let's talk drums for a minute. Do you ever do any words to drummer or is it always just you? Uh, I used to a lot. I've got a, I don't really fit into what you call it, the, the dead style. I almost compare myself more to like a, I grew up uh, Ginger Baker and Keith Moon and so I'm kind of uh, unorthodox a little bit and hard to play with, probably. I, I would imagine then if we're, we're, we're talking about Moon and Ginger, if those guys are already an influence on you, that probably really helps in trying to interpret two drummer stuff as one drummer. Def yes, indeed. Because they both definitely can move around the kit. <laughs> so do you personally then try and 
and when you're doing like a, a an obvious two drummer tune you know it's a hell in a bucket something you know so it was a heavy 80s tune that's never was only played with two drummers how do you go about deciphering and deciding how you're going to approach it um it all just comes natural and i'm all over the place and it uh, i'm kind of lucky with the fellas that i play with that they put up with me with the style that i have but uh, <laughs> i don't know how to really put it into words you mentioned that your first show was in 73 yes. so that's one drummer and that's just billy by himself and then mickey comes back you know and and you get to see that as well um does one does one of those guys have a bigger influence on you than another I really enjoyed the single drummer shows. I got to see a lot of the Walla Sound, just Keith and Donna shows uh, between Buffalo and Rochester. And they were, uh, especially in Rochester, I recall, like maybe it'd be about 8,000 people. You know, you could walk right up in front. It was really comfortable. Uh, we already talked about, you know, we touched on what an amazing Grateful Dead community Buffalo is. And, and <laughs> I'm sure we, we even talked about longtime regulars. I'm sure you have them. You even mentioned a mutual friend of ours that, you see in the same spot at every show in your mind, what is it about this music that creates this subculture and this community? That's so tight. I think it's just the family feeling that you got. Uh, you know, I used to get that when I would go to shows and you'd start getting closer and closer. And you'd see the people in the tie dyes and things. And you just, you know, you feel like you're home and especially with the way the world is right now, it's a spot where people can go even on a small scale and, you know, just be themselves and just cut loose and have fun. Right on, man. Well, we love to come up there and have them cut loose and have fun with us in Buffalo. And hopefully we will be back soon. And when we come back, hopefully we will get a chance to meet. And uh, I want to just thank you for taking the time today and answering some questions and letting people know about the Buffalo community and the Buffalo Dead All-Stars, man. Oh, it's been my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so let, much. Uh, our uh, mutual friend know that I was chatting with you. Yeah, man, please, again, send him my best. It's a golfer, folks. Imagine that golf comes up on every one of these podcasts. Uh, that is Mark Hitchcock of the Buffalo Dead All-Stars. Thank you again for taking the time late at night for me. Thank you. Hope to see you soon. If you like what you're hearing today, please consider supporting the podcast with a contribution. We have two ways for you to do this. You can become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month. That includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, videos from home and on the road, including some pretty cool footage from Jamaica right now, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal, and part of every contribution goes to the Rex Foundation. You can do this and learn more about the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever podcast player you might use. Thank you for your continued support and for helping spread the word about the show. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Grateful Sweats subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy for a wide selection of cold weather gear like hoodies, beanies, and of course sweatpants, as well as other Grateful goodies with more than 30 designs like Tennessee Jed, Women Are Smarter, and my personal favorite, The Eyes of the World. Visit etsy.com slash shop slash Grateful Sweats or get there from the sponsors page at our website. And right now, use the code THEMUSICPLAYS to save 10% and receive a free pen. And don't miss the clearance section with up to 80% off. So as soon as you're done listening here, head on over to Grateful Sweats. Well, I hope you're enjoying the program so far, and I know you're going to enjoy our feature conversation today. Melvin Seals was the keyboardist in the Jerry Garcia Band from 1980 until 1995, 
making him the longest tenured member of the band next to John Kahn and, and of course Jerry. However, some of you may not know about Melvin's background or career leading up to then. It's a great story and it really sheds light not only on his playing with the Garcia band, but what a huge departure it was from everything he'd done up until then. Now, I've loved every conversation I've had on this podcast so far, but this one ranks right near the top. Melvin is so personable, and we were really just having a good time sitting there. Uh, Like last week with Dan Leibowitz, this is one of the rare times that I was able to record the feature in person. Uh, It was another lovely day in Jamaica, but it is a bit noisy. Uh, There's a stiff wind blowing that you'll hear, and you'll hear some other background noise as well. We've got the room service cart going by, sounds from the stage, and even a car alarm for you in there. So uh, here you go, my sit down with Melvin Seals. Good day. It is another beautiful day in Jamaica, and I have the honor today of sitting here with my friend Melvin Seals. How are you? Yeah, man. Doing just fine. Thank you for taking the time. He's going to play in a couple hours, and he came down a little bit early so that we could uh, have a conversation for you all. And yes. We played together last night. I got to sit in with John and, and Melvin and JGB, and thank you so much because that was a blast. Oh, man. It was so meaningful. Yes. I appreciate that. You know, there was one... Whatever the first song was that I put. Oh, Breadbox. Yeah. When everybody stopped and it was just the percussion. <laughs> and you looked over and yeah. That's a heartwarming feeling. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just going to start right at the beginning with you, All right. man. Yeah. You're born in San Francisco. Actually born in Richmond, California. Richmond, California. But pretty much raised in San Francisco from the age of four or five. Tell me, tell us, if you can, a little bit how you got started in music and your music education. Uh, you know... Uh, we were church bound. My family was uh, very church orientated, and we went to church every Sunday. And you know, and uh, I was somewhere when I got around four or five, I started noticing the piano, just listening to the piano player. And uh, you know, it's like wow, it's just, it just it hit me like I can do that. And so I started, you know, in the church, start trying to play the piano first. And then somewhere along the uh, line, I heard a good organist in the church say, oh, that's even better. I want the organ. So I kind of switched from the piano to the organ, and that got me started. What was it about the organ? What was the difference that grabbed your heartstrings that made you say, oh, my God, look at this? There was something about the sound of the organ, Uh, the pedals, the double manual, and all the stops and things to program it. It's like it was t- intimidating. I'm looking at, whoa, whoa. And and there was one guy, his name was Kenneth Hughes, and he just recently passed, I know you don't know him, that would come and play every now and then, and he just, oh, the organ sound just warmed my heart. And I mean, the piano was great, but I've heard piano all my life, but I hadn't heard organ like that, you right. know, you know. And so I just, I just kind of gravitated towards the organ. And then, you know, back then, American Bandstand and Shindig, if you remember in those places, I caught on to Billy Preston. Way back then, young Billy Preston playing on American Bandstand and, and Shindig and um, uh, 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 the night show, uh, oh, I can't call the name. Uh, oh, anyhow. And I started listening to this guy, which was from the church. I knew him from the church, but I started listening to this rock church style. I was like, whoa, there's a church, but there's that 
stuff he did with Ray Charles and, and those earlier people, Nat King Cole back then. said, ooh, I want some of that. So that really launched me into the organ very deeply. When you first started, were you using foot pedals too? Uh, I was hitting every wrong note I possibly could. <laughs> I don't think, you know, it's so funny and it's so embarrassing because I wanted to play. And a lot of time in church, again, when they start church and they call it devotion and, 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 and guys start just sing a song and they just start playing, there would be nobody there. And I'd jump on the organ. I wanted to play. And I couldn't play very well. And I'm hitting all bad notes and people are looking over like, what is he doing, you know? And a few times they've asked me not to play. They literally, you know, I was too young to be embarrassed. But they asked me like, Okay, let's do verse number three again without the organ. Literally. How old are you at that point? I might have been seven. Seven? Yeah. Oh, so you're a kid. I mean, they can't expect it to be... You're not, you're not supposed to be a virtuoso yet. Yeah, well, I know. Well, I know. But I'm... And I was... Like I said, I was too young to not... To know... Not to be embarrassed. So he was like, oh, okay. You know. But I was... I was raw. I hit a lot of bad notes all over the place. I think I hit probably two or three good notes in the rest of the So then I said, forget about the foot pedals, let's just worry about the hands. <laughs> yeah. But I know you're supposed to be doing something. Right. You know. So, so from some seven on and through your teenage years, you're still in the church, I guess. Are you taking lessons or are you learning it all on your own? At some point, uh, my, uh, my father says, okay, look like you got to, he played piano and he was the choir director, you know. And he said, okay, well, it seemed like you really want to learn, you want to play, we need to get you some lessons. And at that point, you know, now I'm, I'm starting to, you know, when I come home from school, I'm starting to pick up songs that were out then. I'm like picking it out, you know, still not a great musician, but I'm able to pick, oh, that's that chord, that's that chord. When he gave me music lesson, it went back to Bach. Da 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 da, you know, and it's like that's not what I wanted to play, you know. And maybe I didn't have enough sense to realize whether it's learn the notes and learn some fundamental of, of you know, but I want to play what I heard, and right. that's not what I want. So I took lessons for probably three or four months, and you know, and that went away. And then you just did the rest with your ear. Oh, rest with my ear. Wow. I, I've learned chords chord progression so I was able to refine that you know and you know, when I get out because most charts I got were chord progressions I can't read if you give me some sheet music I can't read that gotcha but you know I, I was able to brush up and continue on oh, that's a B flat to seven or oh, raise nine I, I, I knew how to you and then hear, yeah. you hear the colors yeah yeah yes 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 then I put these stuff in between yeah right on man yeah. uh, so you did that, you stayed in the church all the way through your teenage years and through high school and everything? Yes. And then did you turn pro right out of high school? Uh, in high school um, is where I knew that's what I wanted to do. I was in the high school band. And believe it or not, in high school I played upright bass. I was in the band. <laughs> I was playing bass. I wonder if I was hitting the right notes again. I don't know. That's fretless, <laughs> too. So you're in the right spot. <laughs> But I, I I was playing bass and I was reading a little bit of music. I don't know what happened, and uh, uh, and and then the uh, high school had a, a choir. They wanted to do some gospel material, and, and so they oh Mel would come play, you know, and and that that finished it on the piano kind of thing. You know, they didn't have an organ. Do you ever play piano? When's the last time you played piano? 
Oh, I can play piano. You still play piano? Yeah, yeah, I do a lot of recordings where I play piano and organ and, and orchestration synthesizer and all that stuff. Uh, um, I'm just, I'm not a fluent piano player. You're like, you guys, right. piano player, he can play. Yeah, Rob can play. Serious piano and organ, but he's got them piano fingers. I don't have those piano fingers. I got organ fingers. And see, he wasn't really, he's like a lot of the guys in the dead world, like Comenti for one, who picked up organ because of what they were doing? Yeah, and he wasn't an organist. He's a piano player. He's a piano. So he player. was while we were playing last night. He was standing behind you. Yeah, probably two bottles of wine into his <laughs> evening, losing his shit. It was all I'm looking over there, and his 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 girlfriend is trying to take videos of, of you from behind. Oh, okay. And he's talking. Look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. And, she, and she's going. Shh. I and didn't know he did that. It was really funny. I was watching it go down. Well. Um, what were some of then? What were some of the very first professional gigs you were doing? I mean, long before we were, we we're going to talk about Garcia, where were you? Well, one of the very professional. I mean, I went to Europe with a choir, gospel choir, poly, uh, uh, polytechnical choir. Well, you know that was. But I was uh, I was a paraprofessional then. I was out of school and I was working as a teacher's aide. And again, uh, Polly had a, a teacher choir teacher that had a gospel choir, and so. You know, they brought me out for that. And so I went to Europe and did a lot of stuff, but that was non-paying gigs. That was like, you know. Right. The first professional gig that I did where I flew on a plane and they bought my ticket and got me a hotel room and paid me. Wasn't much money, but I got paid. You know, wow, I get paid for all this? It was with a, a guy named Gideon in Power. It goes back, you probably wouldn't know his name. But Gideon was Elvin Bishop's roommate. This is okay. before Elvin Bishop had hits. They were in apartment. And I'm playing with Gideon. And also in the band with Gideon was Mickey Thomas. Okay. He was in the band, Ross, Gunny Ross, Mickey Thomas. And so that's how I met all of them and played with Gideon. And the road manager, I don't want to get too far off, the road manager of Gideon Power was Wally Amos. Famous Amos? Cookie guy? Cookie guy. I love those cookies. His Crunchy. name is Wally Amos. <laughs> this is before he was a cookie guy, obviously. This is before he was a cookie guy. Wow. Way before then, he was with, uh, he had a deal with Bell Records. And I remember recording in, in, in Southern California with Gideon, and there was a guitar player that came in that just sat in the corner, red charge, and they brought him in just for session. And it was, uh, I think, Wawa Watson. one did that. Anyhow, so it was with Gideon Power. You know, I did a bunch of gigs with him, flew to flew places and got paid and it was just a wonderful world and then when elvin and shortly after gideon then i got into broadway shows broadway shows oh yeah i did evolution of the blues don't bother me i can't quote a song in the sky and another one i don't remember how are you able to pull that off if you're not a strong reader because that's all right from a book in the show in the uh, evolution of the blues they had a gospel section and the piano player was a jazz piano player. And they wanted someone in there that played, that could play gospel. So I came in just to play for the choir. You know, every night in the show, play for the choir. But you know, I, I was able to, I had a great ear and I could pick up. And so when I started picking up the Hachi Tachi Club and the, and the blues and all that stuff, I, I was on stage all night. Cause I could, I would pick that stuff up. I did Evolution Blues for six years. Wow. Six years. And so, Elvin Bishop came down one night to see the show. 
and there I am on the organ. Now Elvin knew I played for Gideon, but now Gideon's over, right. and I'm with him. You know, and he saw me, and he was getting ready to go on tour and record a live record at the end of the tour. This is that early was, '70s, I'm guessing. Yes, and the album was Raising Hell. Okay. And he said, "Man, why don't you come out and do this?" And I had been there uh, six years of that, and I was like, "It was like, okay, I need to, you know, the same thing every night on cue." No, not much improvising, you know. Right. It's like it got bored, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Elvin wanted me to go on the road. There was two weeks tour, and at the end, he was going to record uh, three nights, which was Raising Hell. And I did that, and at the end, and at the end, I was just in the band. It just, it just, hey, we got more gigs. Come on, you know. And so I was in the Elvin Bishop band for four or five years. And again, Mickey Thomas was in the band too. He trans uh, trans over from. Gideon Power into Elvin. He's the one, of course, you know. And then he goes on to Starship after right, that. Right, 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 right. And so, you know, that's how that that all kind of, kind of, you know. Right. Kinda, I read somewhere. Did you play with Chuck Berry? I did. Like, is it is it is a regular gig or? No. Well, uh, when he come to the Bay Area. Right. Yeah. Just you know, he. I'm gonna guess because I played. With, I'm from St. Louis. Okay. You know, so I played with him quite a few times over the years. Sometimes uh-huh. we'd sit in with bands, but a couple times where I was part of the backing band. Yeah. And I'm gonna guess it was the same thing. He comes in, he doesn't tell you what you're playing. He don't tell you. Doesn't tell you what key. Nope. And you better get it right. He just point at you, and you start playing. And you better get it right. <laughs> yeah, man. It's uh, yeah. Not once when I played with him did he talk to us ahead of time. No, he didn't oh. talk to me. You're the band. Nice to meet you. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Follow me. Yeah. Don't miss t- the changes. No, right, right. That's what, what That's what it was. That's what it was. Wow. Thing. So, Didn't talk? Yeah. so you're playing with Elvin. Is is that with Elvin Bishop? That's all based in the Bay Area as well? That was all... Uh, well, we we toured all over the world. But, the, you I mean, you're, you're seen, though. You came, you came out of the Bay Area. Yes, yes, yes. So if you're in the Bay Area at this time, I mean, you have to... I would assume the dead and Jerry are at least on your radar. Do you know anything at this point about them? Because it's in the seventies. They're. Really I know. Big. All I know is the name Grateful Dead, and I don't think I knew any of them name. You just heard the name around town. You know, well, you, I only heard the name like on you know like Channel Seven. Like today is Mickey Hart's birthday, you know, or Jerry's birthday. September and, 11th. and yeah, yeah. So you, you so you hear that on the news, you know, and so or or when they. Performed in Oakland for New Year's. Right. You always hear about how the neighbors didn't like that because they come in all these hippies Here and all the they camping out all over the place. You hear that stuff, you know. So what? What was your first exposure to it then? My first exposure uh, is now I'm with Elvin Bishop still, still, and we had to get a gig in San Diego that the Jerry Garcia band was the headliner. Okay. And Merle Saunders was with them at the time. Again, I don't know Jerry. I don't know. I knew Jerry kind of with the Grateful Dead, but I don't know Jerry and Jerry Garcia band. Never saw him. Never came out of his dressing room. But I played with Elvin. And when I got with Jerry, it's a long story getting there, but I'm kind of giving you. He says, oh, Elvin, I love your playing. This is when I got with Jerry. And right. So, you know, I was like, what are you talking about? How do you know about my playing? And he told me when and where he asked, when they was in the dress room in San Diego, and I'm playing with them, he asked, who was that on the organ? Wow, so you you had this impression on him before you ever knew him. How did you come to meet him and get together? For him to be able to tell you, you had this impression on me that you didn't know about. I started doing some work with Maria Mordala. Okay. And, of course, her boyfriend was John Kahn. 
and quite a bit of gigs with her. And when uh, her bass player couldn't do the gigs, John did it. And you know, John was paying attention to me, and he would always come up, man. I, I like the way you play, and this and that, and this. And one day, after probably six months, he came up to me and said, "Hey, would you be interested in just sitting in with another band and just doing some gigs?" And as a musician, you you know, you kind of leave doors open. Sure, man, I love to. Didn't know who it was. He never told me anything. One day I got a call from John Con. Hey, we're going to get together uh, this coming Friday. You think you can come up and we can make a rehearsal? We might have some gigs, you know. Again, had no idea of anything. Yeah, sure, man. And told me where. He give you a song list? No. Nothing? No, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. It was kind of an audition, you know what I found out, but right after that, we started rehearsing for songs. And, and so they gave me the address, which was, which was front, front Street, where the Grateful Dead warehouse was. I come up there, and I was early, you know, good impression, wouldn't be on time, and nobody was there yet, but the, the night person that took care of the place. And I went in, and, and uh, you know, I'm looking around. I know nothing about this. I didn't even know it was the Grateful Dead place. You know, John just said, you know, you know, I, Here's the address. Come yeah, yeah, up. and come on up, and we're gonna have. It. I didn't know who was coming, <clears throat> so I walked in, and I'm looking around, and you know they all had, had all these backdrops, <laughs> and I'm looking, you know, and you're still talking to a guy that's still fresh out of the church, right? But these backdrops had nothing to do with church. They're all like skeleton, <laughs> skeleton with a violin in his hand, skeleton with a rose, and it's like skeleton. I'm like shit. What's going on here you know I'm looking at this stuff and then you know and then I'm looking around and I'm not gonna go too deep with it but it was pretty interesting <laughs> some things that I saw so then here comes they all come in at one time and you know how when six or seven people come in and say hey man I'm Jerry hey I'm so-and-so and I'm so-and-so I'm so-and-so and hey you know and it's you don't know the name. The names are short-term memory. You get right. all that, but five minutes I couldn't tell. You know, you 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 know. So they all came in, and I only one I knew was John, and you know, and I, I didn't know Jerry. <laughs> you know, I didn't know who he was or anything about because I didn't know the members of the Grateful Dead. And so they all came in. We all said our highs, and and uh, we said, hey, let's just go in and, and play some music. And I think we went over three songs, they were motel songs, they were like The Harder They Come, How Sweet It Is, Second That Emotion. Okay. Because they probably figured I knew those right, songs. Right, Songs of the Dead. Yeah, right. I'm new. And I did. And so after that, we took a break, you know, everybody disappeared for a minute. And then we met back in the hallway, you know, that, you know so I guess you can read between lines and disappeared. Uh, and, and so... Dumb me, I say to the guitar player, because I don't know him, I said, man, you play some pretty good guitar. And they just laugh because they know I don't have a clue of nothing. You didn't know that that was actually Jerry? No, I didn't. <laughs> I literally didn't. And he turned around and said, man, you play some pretty good organ. And that people, everybody, Steve Paris, and they all just laugh because I'm just as naive as, wow, it, man. as, as it possibly can be. It, it sounds like, I mean, from everything you've said, most of your professional gigs up to that point are straight ahead. Yes. It's songs. Yes. Yes. And, and and now you get to the Jerry Band and the Dead thing. It's so much of a looser environment. It's so steeped in improv and all that. How big of an adjustment is that for you, coming from where you come from? It was very hard. But I had to learn some new things. 
you know, um, when we started, when we were in the band and started doing shows, and I remember quite a few times at the Warfield. You know, in gospel and R&B, R&B music, you kind of dot your I's and cross your T's. And what I mean by that, accents and slurs and things that come up, you try and hit them hard, you know, like harder to come, bop, bam, bop, you know, and you hit them like a horn player would, you know. Yeah, you know. Right. And, and, and there were many nights, these guys was all like, you know, it was not like, and I would be like, I'm looking at the audience that are out there, and I'm looking at these band members that are capable, but it was sloppy. And I would get offended, like, come on to myself. I'm saying, come on, guys, you, you know this, you know? And it, it was like, just not tight at all. But I had to learn through all, throughout the years. Uh, it wasn't about how polished and tight the music, it was the heart. The heartfelt music. What right. leaves the heart reaches the heart. So you know, Jerry would make a mistake, and they get a bigger roar about him making a mistake than playing an excellent show. It's the most forgiving audience in the world. Yes, yes. You know, it's like, and I'm sitting. I come from that area that, man, this got to be tight, man. We got to be on tonight. We got to, you right. know, it's none of that. Well, none of that. It, the, the, the audience. I mean, you're right. And the audience, the Grateful Dead, and jam band in general, but it starts with the dead, yeah. is the most forgiving audience in the world. Yeah. And the only thing I can think to myself is, it's because they know that when we're out there on the stage, we're trying something that we may have never tried before, and we're yeah. trying to go to places every yeah. night. Every night. And it's not always going to get there, and, but they respect the effort, Yeah. if you will. Some nights it's great, other nights, eh, well, they were okay. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um what what was it about well first i'm gonna go here did you have to alter so i'm even gonna back up again so you didn't take a ton of solos but you did take solos and you really haven't done that yet because you haven't been the improv player no no i i that's why i didn't take a ton of side jerry would have me play on every song he'd look over at me and i look down you shake him off sometimes <laughs> take him off I really? like, no 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 you know so i took solos on songs that were kind of R&B-ish, like that's what love will make you do, Right. you know, the harder they come, stuff that had a formula, but the free-for-all free style, I didn't understand it. And I'm used to backing when right, I you're solo. You're still approaching it in a support role. Right, right, right. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, Jerry just hit a couple of notes and he's over looking and grinning. And I'm like, uh, I need some help here. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, it, everything was so different, like the bass, John Kahn. You know, in R&B, they play the root note. And these bass, pay, bass player are just way up in the guitar area. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm not used to this. And it's not always on one and three. No, 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 no. Yeah. Right, right. So I had to learn quite a bit to, to get into this thing and, and become what I think I've become. Did you have to, you, you've become it. Did you have to alter your approach to the instrument and the way you played it to accommodate Jerry? I mean, I'm talking about like comping. You know, most organ players probably play a bass line with their left hand. Did you have to stay out of the way or change where you played or how you played to leave the proper room for him to do what he did? No, I, I tried my best to stay out of his way. Uh, I only had one style of playing. I was not fluent in, in changing up for this and changing up for that. I just, you know, again, I had this gospel, rock, R&B 
kind of soulful style. That's all I knew. You know, and right. when I got with him, one of the first things I wanted to do, because I knew Merle was my friend. Merle and I had a production company called MS Productions. Right. Merle Saunders and Melvin Seals. So we did, you know, we did some producing the albums. So the first thing I wanted to do was hear Merle. Because I would have, if they were comfortable with what Merle was doing, I would have went right there copying what Merle was doing. They didn't want me to hear Merle. They literally would not let me hear uh, tapes and sessions and stuff with Merle on, on keyboards because they wanted me to be me. I didn't know how to be me. I didn't know what to give it. There's some songs today I don't know what to play, how to, how to I feel to play it uh, correctly. There's some songs that I feel like, oh, God, this is horrible. And everybody's over there grinning. <laughs> did, did you ever get to the point where, I mean, we're always evolving, even today as musicians, yeah. but did you ever get to the point where you said, okay, I'm grasping this, now I'm comfortable? I did when we lost Jerry. Really? Up to that point, it was still. I, I was. It was. It was. It was. It was all about the Jerry Garcia band. It was about Jerry was the icon on stage. He was the man, and so it didn't matter what I did, what I do. You know, I was part of a mechanism, but he was the man. But when we lost Jerry, and and I decided, hey, let's try and keep this going. There's no icon on stage. I'm not one. Right. And so the music had to be good. There's lyrics that I never knew what Jerry was saying. But I had to learn them now to teach another guitar player. It's got to be like this. I had to learn what Jerry was doing. I never had to learn what Jerry was wow. doing. But when we lost him, I had to go into the repertoire and listen and learn what I was doing all those years. Wow. What to you, who spent as much time on a stage with that man as anybody, and probably as much time off a stage with him, because I know you guys were tight. Uh -huh. What was it about, and for you, what was it about his playing that made it so magnetic and so magical? You know, I wish I could answer that question. I really wish I could tell you exactly, but I don't know. But he had it. It was just an energy. You know, it was an energy, and I tried to capitalize on some of that. You know, I would challenge Jerry every now and then. You know, we, you play, he's play a lick, and I get in there and play a lick, and he'll play a lick, and I play a lick, and we do that for a little bit. Until he got tired of it, then he just going up off the space with his legs, and I and I couldn't follow it. <laughs> he challenge him and lose, and I lose every time. <laughs> when he was when he was done having fun with me, Dude. then he would go to another element. Oh, which that's I couldn't so go. wonderful! And that translates to your friendship off the stage, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. it's all oh, yeah. works in one. Yeah. Did 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 he give you direction and where and what to play, or did you just have free reign? He he never told me not one lick play this way. Now, I mean, John Conn wrote basic charts and I told you I could read chord progression so you know for a song that I never heard before he'd have just just minimum ch charts just so I can know the chord right no rhythm no style no melody they never told me Melvin to uh, play it like this it just just the chords and, and they wanted me to play what I felt and that's what I was saying it's like well that would have been good if I had a good handle on these songs, but I had nothing to listen to. If I had, you know, someone to listen to, oh, okay, that's that's the idea of the song. I could have done that and maybe build from there, right. but they wouldn't let me, you know, it's like, play, just play what you feel. What about going the other direction? Was there ever a time where, okay, you're playing what you feel, but dial it back, that's too much, or was it just... 
I happens, al- happens. I've always started less right. is, is better, you know. I'm, I'm one of the musicians, when in doubt, lay out. Not, that's, one of my, my, that's my mantra. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, so true. It's so true. And then, like, last night I noticed it. I noticed it when we play together a lot, but there'll be nothing going on. Not nothing, but yeah. there'll be, like, because you don't solo a ton, but in a verse where that where the end of the vocal line will happen, and there's yeah. another six beats before yeah. the next right. vocal line starts, and I'm watching John, yeah. and then... Because some something <laughs> so tasty came out in a spot where it could fit. Oh wow! You know, Thank so you. lay out and yeah. pick your spots. Yeah, and, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. So yeah. You know, I guess I'm going to ask this, even though we kind of touched it. And if it, if it's the same thing, I'll edit it out. But, okay. You know, so you're I mean you're playing in a group with one of the greatest improvisers of all times. Jazz, rock, doesn't matter the genre. He's one of the masters. Did how does that inspire you? When it's time, and he and you get the nod. All right, Melvin, time to take a solo. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, again, I it, they quickly kind of figured out where I wanted to solo. There was like some of the songs where you know you do the first chorus, first chorus, and then you got this open jam at the end. I very seldom, seldom soloed in that area. Uh, I noodled around with, and that's what I was saying. I noodled around with Jerry. He played licks, and I played some licks. But I wasn't really soloing. I'm just, I was beginning to improvise. But they knew, harder they come. Uh, that's what love would make you get out of my life. The, the rhythmic R&B feel. That's where I was comfortable. The psychedelic, where you don't even know where the one is. I was not comfortable. Right on. You know. So when you're playing those songs, not the psychedelic, when you're playing the groove tunes, yeah. And, and you're playing in support over the time, over the course of the years, are you, uh, I mean, I'm, it's really improvising. Are you changing the way you play it? Or are you pretty much staying steady? Are you changing your rhythmic sensibilities or the way you decide where I'm going to put a fill in between them over the years? Or are you just going to play it this way? No, I was learning. I was improvising. I was coming up with new stuff. I was getting it. I had to come from being organized. Up with the music, like I said, that you know, dotting your eyes and crossing your T's, and 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 it doesn't have because I came from the Broadway show for six years. It was once you got it worked out, that's what you played. And the few R and B bands that I played in, once the arrangement is there, you don't change. That's the arrangement. You play that every time we do the song. I had to break from that into this. It was faster last night. Tonight it's really slow, you know. And those tempos make you play differently. And they make you play differently. Right, right. right. So I was learning, okay, okay, well, I got to do this. That's not going to, all this chopping I'm doing ain't going to work. It's like I'm doing it slow speed. So I was learning uh, how to play this music and how to free up. Don't rely on what you did last night. Just play. They always told me, play what you feel. And I was starting to do that. So it was. It must have always because, especially because of the tempo thing, yeah. and over the years how the tempo changed. It must have always kept it feeling fresh for you, though. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. It was challenging. It was very challenging. That's but I get it. I get it now. <laughs> Dynamics yeah. play a huge part in that. And I'm going to use one. I'm going to use like a road. I'm uh-huh. going to bring that one up. And it was beautiful. The other day, side note, I left to go play golf, and when we came back, I thought. The Fog City Holdouts were going to be playing. Yeah. Like, all right, it's great. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get in the water. Yeah. Listen to the music. Yeah. And we came back, and I got it was you, 
you guys were up, and I walked in right as like a road was starting. Oh, wow. I'm in the water listening to it. Just beautiful moment. But I'll yeah. take that one as an example because you do solo on that. Yes, I do. And that one can go, it might start at a normal level, and then it gets huge and big and loud, and then it gets back to pin drop quiet. Yeah. You know, the, the, and those, those dynamics convey so much emotion that it's impossible not to feel that. Right. You know, as a listener, I'm assuming as a player as yes. well. Yeah. You know, and on, on the occasions that I've had to play that song with you when you sat in with us and whatnot, it's 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 probably more moving when I'm in when I'm in the audience. Oh wow. And then when I'm on stage it, it can inspire my playing uh-huh. just because of the dynamics. It's right. emotion. Does right. that all come for you? Is is the church influence there when you're doing that? Is that oh, where yeah. that comes from? Oh, is church yeah. always on your mind still when you're playing? Well, it's not on my mind. It's just it's, it's how I play. It's in my heart. It's what I learned. And there was a time I tried to get rid of it. <clears throat> I listened to rock and roll organ o- organists and rock and roll solos. And certain songs is like a great organ solos. You know, uh, one of the songs that I liked growing up uh don't know the name of the band but the song was hold your head high or hold your head up hold your head up it's um ardent is that that band argent i think i think it's argent there's an organ solo yeah it does have a brilliant organ solo there's some short staccato notes in it yeah 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 and and, and so that's where i was trying to like there ain't no gospel in that it was like that was like almost bach rock class it was it had it was mixed with some stuff it's like oh my god and so i was listening to a lot of that and some other great solos and and i was trying to get the churchy feel out of my playing and and it's just i couldn't because it's not just in your playing it's in your heart it's in my heart and and then i've learned to embrace like the folks like what i'm doing which becomes so easy they 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 and now they say, hey, Melvin, you hear I heard him last night. Take me to church. Let's go to church. You know, you heard that last night. I heard him say it every, everywhere I played. They say, look, Melvin, take me to church. And I realized that God has given me something that I think the fans want to hear. Not another one of those kind of organ solos like that. You know? right. So I said, you know what? What you got is what you supposed to have. Embrace it. And so I love it now. I love the way I play. For a while, it's like I was trying to not have the church be so dominant. But hey, it, it's all over me. It is what you are. That's beautiful. You know, all your years with in, in, in Jerry Garcia band, you and Garcia and Khan are the constants. Yeah. But during years, the drummers changed and the singer roles changed a few times when you had different girls. Yes, they did. Did you have a favorite incarnation, one that just was the lineup for you? Well, it was the last. Uh, um, I was uh, fortunate. Jerry gave me the responsibility after the first two set of singers, and I never knew what happened. He wanted me to find some singers from the church because he wanted that soul gospel feel. And so as there were two sets that I brought in, they could sing, but it's just, I guess, the... The drama, of, drama of it all was too, too heavy for them. They get out there and, and they see these all these folks, and then just forgetting their part. And it's like, oh, I can't do that. And so I went to two sets till I found Jackie and Glory. Did you already know them? 
I knew them from the church. I knew them from, again, uh, choirs. You know, I still played in choirs and musicals and, and certain things that would go on. And you were still doing that while you were playing in Jerry Bay? Oh, yeah, you go yeah, back yeah. and play at the church when gospel, you were off the road and stuff? I had a gospel record company called Secret Records. I had hits on the charts. Wow. On the, the gospel same time. Charts. Same time. It's funny because um, I bought a brand new BMW, and everybody thought that was Jerry Garcia money. That was, uh, that, was, that was the record company money. Wow. So <laughs> when you were off the road, you know, if, if Jerry was if dead or out, and so you're not, were you like literally going back and playing in the church on Sundays? Yeah, I played on Sundays in church. And I would now, but I'm so far from from that now. But yeah, I, I when, I, you know, when uh, I was, I, I kept a job playing in church. Wow. You know, when I was home. Because remember, the Jerry Garcia band was wasn't his main band. Grateful Dead was the main band. Yeah, just filled we the holes. Were, yeah, we just filled the holes. So we, man, went on tour. You know, a nice little tour that was seventeen days, maybe twice a year. Right. And we did a lot of war field dates. We maybe flew out for something and came home, but it wasn't a lot of work. You know, so it was not a main gig. You know, and it was, and it was not ever that with Melvin. You can't do anything else. It was, you know, and I had a gospel career. You know, uh, I had a record company that was doing quite well, and and I was playing in churches. That that's uh, always been a part of my life. And I would still play, but I literally don't have the time now. Right. Yeah. But I'd come back and Sunday morning be up on church. Wow, man. Yeah. That's crazy. I had no idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that that Jackie and Gloria, and I guess then that's David Kemper on drums. That's your strongest lineup. Yeah, David David Kemper. Well, the the strongest lineup was Ron Tuck. Oh man, who we just lost? Oh man, I just recently. To, I yeah, I know. I listened to Ron do some things on like the harder they come, some of the reggae stuff. I just never seen in my life. Yeah, I just never seen a drummer do some of the stuff that he did so easy. You know, and. For me, as a drummer, watching him or listening, because I never got to see it, it's what he's doing is so musical and so perfect, but still maintains simplicity. Yes, you know, and and, and David, who I also love, yeah, 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 would have some busier fills and yeah. trying to cross the bar line as a guitar solo peaks and stuff. Yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. It's just it's conveying different. You can convey emotions with the simplicity of a tut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. with the busyness B- of, Kemper, of a yeah, camper. Yeah, yeah. And he likes the tut thing just because of the space and the... Uh, yeah, I like that space. But he, he did it well. I mean, he was just... You knew who he was by just listening to him play. You know, some people can play the drum and they can sound happy and just complete. And man, the feel is great. And another person can play the same feel and it don't feel like that. But that's the same with any instrument. I can play... A C chord, and someone else will play a C chord, but add something. But it's still a C chord. It's like, whoa, man, I like what he's playing. You know, right? The feel. Some people just got a great feel. Ron had a great feel on drums. Wow, man. You're talking about feel. I want to talk about sound for a second. Yeah. You can set an organ. An organ can sound a million different ways. That's correct. Because of the draw bars. Right. And the way you set it all. Yeah. You're real secretive about your settings, aren't you? Am I? I'm asking. Um, I don't think that I am. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't put a napkin over the on my hands and draw <laughs> like I heard some jazz musician used to do. I, 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 I don't. 
Let me ask you this: the way you play it and the way you set it, is it markedly different from other organ players, and that's what helps oh, yeah. you get your creative sound? Oh yeah, a lot of organ players uh, uh, get this certain sound, and they kind of stay with that sound all night long. They don't, you know. I I come from an orchestration background, and and not tall, not not go to lesson, but I study orchestration. I mean, right. I listen. I listen to how the flute and the French horns comes in and how the violins are played and every instrument. And I try and pull that out on the drawbar. Now, to a Hammond organ, it ain't going to sound like that. But the theory of... And the color. The color. Yeah, man. Yes, yes. I'm all about the color. Last night, you know, I mean, where I was sitting last night, I was five feet from your left hand. Yeah. Playing, and your left hand's real active while yeah, you're playing. Yeah, I'm moving, moving around. Bars. Playing a little lower notes. I'm doing something a lot of folks may not hear, but I'm doing some stuff. You know, it's up to the sound man to, to catch that. You know, but right. I am doing some things. You know, that that make what I'm holding up on the, it makes it work. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. From time to time, you know, Garcia band. Also, you have people sit in, and I'm thinking the first one that comes to mind for me is Clarence. Yes. Sitting in. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite? Or a memorable sit-in, or a guest from back in those days—one that was God. That would be amazing if this guy was in the band. Well, Clarence was in the band for about a year. Yeah. So we, we mastered that. I think Witten Marcellus Branford. Bra- yeah. I'm sorry. Sax. Yeah. Right. Sat in with us once. You know, I know he played a lot with the Grateful Dead, but he sat in with us one time. Uh, same with Bruce Hornsby. You know. Yeah. But Bruce. Played all over the place. Yeah. As well as he can play, and, and, and as electrifying he is, he did not. He did not uh, leave a lot of room. Right. I don't even. I don't know if it was like, "Hey, I'm Bruce, and I'm going to take this," or what. So, so when one does that, I play even less because I, I don't. I'm not going to clutter music, you know. And so he was playing a lot of piano, and so I just really laid back stuff that I would dorm, normally do. I just didn't do it. It's hard to play no matter who it is. I it's hard to play with two keyboard players. Yeah, yeah. You, know. you have to be very smart about that. You yeah. know. Big ears. And a lot of guys, uh, you know, a lot of guys that that play with me want to go no for no with me a lot of times. They like uh, they want me to know they can play. Right. I already know you can play, but they show that stuff in, in on stage, and it's like this is not the place to battle it out. Right. You know. Yeah. Right. Just leave the egos at the door and play for the music. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna. It's, we, you touched on it for a second, and I'd like yeah. to go there if you don't mind. You know, Jerry, we lose Jerry. Yes. And I can't imagine how hard that is on the people in his inner circle mm-hmm. like you. And you guys were very close off stage, if I'm not mistaken. Very close. Very close. What was it that made you decide, hey? I need to keep this ball rolling and keep this music coming out to the people. I mean, that's got to be a terribly difficult decision to try and do. Am I going to keep this music alive or am I going to go do something else? What, what what inspired you to do it? One interview I saw Jerry do. There was an interview he did with uh, some guy. I don't remember. I just remember seeing it on television. And and the guy asked Jerry, uh, Jerry, what? what would you like to see or what do you think of you know it's hard to act when you're no longer here you know but the, the question was when you're no longer here what do you think of the music and what would you like to see and Jerry clearly said I'd like to believe the music would go on 
strongest, stronger than it would be. That it would live on forever. And I remember that interview and what happened. And, and I might be slightly wrong, so don't don't quote me, but when Jerry passed, I think everybody kind of shut down. I think the Grateful Dead, I think they had a meeting, decide, well, you know, it's all over. They said we can't, we can't be the Grateful Dead right, again. Right, right, right. They did say that, yeah. And, and for a while, they were not working. I think Bob Ware was not working. No one was working. And I remember that interview, Jerry said, I would like to believe the music would live on much longer past me. And I thought about it, and I thought about it. And I was going to call the band something else. Because I didn't want any trouble of trying to go out, you know, Bill Graham booked Grateful Dead and booked the Jerry Garcia band as Jerry Garcia, you know. Right. You know. And I was going to call the band Tribute, just a tribute to Jerry. It's the name that I want to do and to go back out. So I was talking to a promoter about doing this. <clears throat> and what happened, uh, John Kahn came up with uh, some gigs. Uh, there was in Santa Cruz a place called Palookaville at that time. I, I played it. Yeah, Santa Palookaville. Cruz, Palookaville. Yep. And so he came what up. A with, hot room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> came up with one night, and and he called all the surviving members with with some additional members, uh, some other guys that wasn't in the band, to see if they wanted. Then we said yes, and so he announced it, and it sold out so fast they added a second night. Well, when we did those two shows. Fans were like, first off, John did different kind of uh, songs. He did some Jerry Garcia songs, but he did songs like that Jerry would do any given day, but we just didn't do those. But that those style of songs, okay. And the fans were still screaming out, "Look, your son!" They were screaming out to Jerry, "Go!" You know, you hear from the audience, and 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 we and we didn't do those songs. And so when I, you know, at, at each night, the first night when I went left the, the building, going to my car, you know, there's a line of people, Melvin, Melvin, getting them all night. Can you do some Jerry songs? Hey, this is not my band, but I I can give him that message. Same thing the second night. We didn't do a lot of those songs, and and the fans wanted to hear those songs. So we were going to go out as a John Con band, and I think four months after the Palookaville, John passed. Mm. He died. So in a sense, I was the last, longest surviving member with the Jerry Garcia band, other than John Con. And I went back to the agency I was talking to about the idea, you know, tribute. And he said, "Man, why don't you just call it JGB?" Ooh, JGB. <laughs> that's. That's trouble, you know, and so, you know, I had to run a title search, and I don't want to get too deep in it, but I had to run a title search to make sure that wasn't owned. Right. It was owned by a organization in New York, uh, it was a BRIM, a blind organization, the initials JGB. So I was able to register it as a musical organization right. in San Francisco, just so the state and those powers would be wouldn't come at me, I, you know, that's all. Just want to know that I could do this. And I did it, and it was rough. You know, folks would come. There's some folks that didn't like it. Yeah. You know, they're sitting in front of the stage and just looking at me with this anger, like wasn't even trying to have a good. Time. What are you doing? You know. But I must admit, at the time, I had a band that was great, but they were not the right band. I had session musicians that went out that can play that stuff like nobody can play it. Right, it wasn't people from this scene. It wasn't from the scene. I had to go back and learn 
that you can't do that. Was that you think? Because you, you, it wasn't met with completely open arms, and no. now obviously it's welcomed with so much love and yes. devotion. Yes. Was that the turning point? Was that what changed it? Was getting the right musicians to? I. That's when I had to learn what was what Jerry was doing all that time, and get the right musician to fit fit that. Love this music, not just a paycheck. You know, be a part of. Are you? Do you know anything? You know, like I came in, I knew nothing. I just had guys that wanted to go out and make some money, and and again, it's back what leaves the heart, reach the heart. These musicians didn't care nothing about these fans. They care about getting on stage and playing, and having a great time, and getting paid. Right. It was all wrong. It so, doesn't lead to great improvisation either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. No. Yeah. No. So I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it, and I think. The first dialing into it after all the reincarnation that I had was Stu. Yeah. When I got Stu, uh, that started building in. Okay, the, the right direction, you know, and, and the right bass player and drummers. And then it started making sense. But before then, it was just guys that I knew that played very well, and it just wouldn't work. They didn't. They didn't want to mingle with the fans. It's like they actually just like, don't don't talk to you know. Like, right, right. It was the wrong. They weren't. You got to be. I, it, that's really interesting. You have to be able to comprehend and understand this yeah. scene. Right. And be able to relate to this scene, to do this music right. Right. That is correct. You know, it's yeah. very. And, and now, my God, Jeremy and JP. That's oh my a God. Hell of a rhythm section. I'm so happy with those guys. Simple and fat. And solid, man. It's just so in the pocket. I mean, yeah. it's really, really good. It, 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 I'm very pleased with it. I so really you've am. had all these different incarnations of this. You had all the stuff you did before. As, as your playing has evolved has, over the years, and specifically since it's been post-Jerry, if you will, uh-huh. has, has your approach, your personal approach to the catalog changed the way you approach the songs, musically speaking, or, some, or mentally speaking? There are some songs that I purposely want to change. I guess I just never been one to want to do a whole show just like Jerry, uh, just like the way I, I like to start putting some of me in there. Uh, I am a writer and producer and, and all that, and so you know there are a lot of folks. Melvin, I, I, I think at some point, at, at one time, they were trying to probably get me to get away from this and do your own thing. Why don't you just call it the Melvin Seals Band? Said, no, I can't call this the Melvin Seals Band. You know. But I got, I got so much repercussion from just the initials of JGB. That's why I put in front of it. Okay, okay, Melvin Seals and JGB. And JGB. That should be enough to know that this. I'm not trying to rob from the Jerry Garcia band. Right. Bill Graham, JGB tonight. I understand that. So that's why I put that in just to break up. I'm not trying to. And trust me, the money I was making. It's not a drop in the bucket. It's a struggle, if anything. And I know you guys probably know about that. Oh yeah. So don't think I'm trying to. I'm, I'm getting rich off the JGB. No, no, none of us are getting rich out here, folks. Just so you know that we're doing it because we love you and we love playing music. There you go. There you go. But some folks don't understand that, you know. And so just to break up that, you know, and and of course after time, and you know, and as I started dialing the right musician, and they see my heart is pure. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not out here trying to rip something right. off you know I just want to play what, I, what I've been playing all these years it's what makes us feel good it's what we do it's what we do you know, you know? You, you've had all these different guitar players and all of them have done well and, and right. filled the role but you know with between 
you know, Stu and Dave and, and, and Zach and John yeah. and whoever, yeah. does each one change the dynamic of the band and how you interpret the music? Yes. But John made it really easy. I sit on stage with John. Uh, some Stu, when I got Stu, he was nowhere where he is now. Right. He was nowhere. You know, and he moved from where he somewhere in Kentucky. When he was, he grew up in Louisville, Louisville, right. Louisville, and he was in a band called the Jones Boys of Jones Brothers, something like that. I don't know. And he was so he was green as can be, but you know, he he dialed into a monster. But even then, it was like there was uh, okay, and all the rest was like okay. I, I hear some some Jerry licks. When I got John, I'm hearing Jerry on stage all night. I'm like. You know, I sat there for 18 years, and I'm like, oh man, this this is so I can start playing what I used to play because it fits and it feels know? right. It feels right. Right. You, he, he's the only one that it really feels right. All the songs, not some of the songs, or a couple good licks. All the songs. It's like I, I'm I'm at home. That's awesome. You know, it's a good place. It sounded. Sounded good from the water the other day. It sounded good being on the stage last night. Yeah, gonna be on the stage I think in a little while. I'm oh yeah, We're gonna I'm have looking forward jam. to tonight. <laughs> I I can't thank you enough, man, for taking the time and doing this with me. Oh, yeah. And I know the people out there are gonna really enjoy hearing it. So thank you so much, my friend. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That's Melvin Seals, y'all, and we're gonna go make some music in Jamaica now. So we'll see you later. <laughs> Alrighty. Oh, that was a fun one for me. Got some really great insight into Melvin and Jerry, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. And that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd very much like to thank Melvin Seals for taking the time while we were on our working vacation, and Mark Hitchcock for coming to us from snowy Buffalo. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Koritz at yourclarity.coach. And of course, the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. You can check out their 70-plus music-related podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week where you can show your love with a one-time contribution. And please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website www.themusicplaystheband.net Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com The opening and segue music you're hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back in two weeks with episode number 29 and another very special guest, the legendary Peter Rowan. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. We're trying to get back on the road, trying to stay on the good side of all of this, and it's really going to take an effort from all of us. Thanks for being here.
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.